I want you to get the scriptures of 1 Samuel chapter 13 and keep your Bible open there. We're not going to read just at the moment because we're going to expound some of these verses this morning. So make sure you have your Bible open and that you're ready to listen and you're ready to hear. They're two different things. And that you're ready to take note to what the Lord is going to say this morning. Leonard Ravenhill, before he died 25 years ago, said that there were times when he was ashamed to be part of the evangelical church in America. I can honestly say that there's some times and of the past year or so that I'm almost ashamed to be part of the evangelical church in Ulster. When I see and hear some of the things that are going on that are so contrary to the word of God, it grieves my heart and soul and has birthed this message this morning. It seems that there is a veil of deception and delusion shrouding over ministers, pastors, leaders, and elders, and congregations. It seems that the Old Testament word is applicable. Ichabod, the glory has departed. The presence of God is no longer felt in many places. And the sad thing about it, my friend, is that the people like Samson don't know that he has departed. We can go through all the rigmarole and all the meetings and all the rest and do it without the presence of a grieved holy ghost. The church of Jesus Christ that Pat and I were born into 50 years ago in Fermanagh has very little resemblance to the church of Jesus Christ here today. That's not speaking of 2,000 years ago when the church herself was birthed. Oh, I tell you, there is no comparison whatsoever. In 30 years, a few ignorant and unlearned men and a couple of others blazed a trail for God and in 30 years, I say, evangelized and turned the world upside down with the gospel. Sammy Workman had a mission here 20 years ago and he said to me one night, he says, Bertie, the slide is well and truly begun and it's been cascading fast ever since. In my early days of Christianity, missions and meetings and conferences and prayer meetings and all evangelical denominations were greatly attended. There were nights of prayer and fasting, which was normal. 
Most evangelical churches had open-air meetings and other denominations tended and stood with them in the towns and in the streets, preaching and singing. The Faith Mission, the CWU, and the Irish Evangelistic Band were seeing souls almost nightly. Scores were going into our colleges and onto the mission fields. The Faith Mission principal and secretary used to come here for the months of August and into September, conducting valedictory services for those going in to college. I don't think it, I don't know if there's been any this year or the past years. It's heartbreaking. There's something wrong. The trend of spiritual declension always was in this order. England first. Wales second. Scotland third. And Northern Ireland last. With our strong evangelical heritage here and the high standard of prayer and prayer warriors, we're empowered to hold on to the end. The end has come. And how sad that is. The end has the end has come. The church is Laodicea. The church is sick. And she's worse than sick. Now I'm only telling you what my heart feels. We're at the very low. We're at the bottom. And we're still going down. Nicholson said a long time ago, he said God brought him that low that he had to look up to see the bottom. We're low. The body politic of the church is in intensive care. Fighting for survival. In fact, and this is, has to be reiterated, in fact, many have stopped fighting. Many have imbibed this school of thought, this false doctrine that this is the way things will be at the end. Yes, it's getting bad and will get bad towards the end. This is the way it's going to be, so that's it. You just leave it. We can do nothing about it. It's like King Canute going down to the sea with the pitchfork. And the fool holding up the pitchfork and putting down the pitchfork, he says, I'm going to turn the tide back. They'll not turn the tide with a pitchfork. We just accept where we are. And if that's where you are this morning, I say, God help you. Pat read out to me out of a book there a week or so ago, Fella Boone, who wrote a book on Ruth, a very good book. 
But he said in it, pray not for revival. Don't expect anything in these last days, for there'll be none. In other words, batten down the hatches and watch and wait patiently for the return of our Lord to rapture us and take us out. Oh, by all means, go to your church and say your prayers and break your bread and do all that you have to do. But don't expect any move of God greatly. How many of God's people have not been affected and brainwashed with such theology? And it has left a good part of the church prayerless. Powerless, faithless. I refuse to imbibe such doctrine. And I refuse to imbibe it first of all because it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. And if you're using that just to lie back and keep out of the prayer meetings and going out with tracks, and standing in the open air, if you're using that to lie up in your luxury in these last days and say you're a Christian, then you're deluded. I don't agree with it because it's unbiblical. I don't believe with it because it's nonsensical. It doesn't make sense when you read the Scriptures. In fact, I checked the date that Mr. Boone wrote that book, and he wrote it in 1937. And I can tell him, if he's still living, I don't think he is, that there was revival after revival since 1937. There were two in the Outer Hebrides, 1939 and 1949, when hundreds were swept into the kingdom of God. Those moves across various parts of our nations, even in the Clotter Valley through the faith mission when the revival broke out in the 50s. And here and there, God has been moving and reviving people. And he's going to do the same again. Beats within my soul and in my spirit and always has from after I got saved that God was going to pour out his spirit in these last days, according to Joel. You're a sad, miserable Christian if you don't believe that there's more than this. Do you think that Christ died for this? Do you think that he hung naked on the cross of Calvary, battered and spat on and smacked and crowned with thorns to leave a church like this? Do you think he's going to rapture? A sick church. For the next number of Lord's Day mornings, as we come down into and embrace the autumn season of the work here, I'm going to do a short series from 1 Samuel 13 and 14. And I want you to listen very careful, and I want you to attend if you can. Because in these two chapters, we have the Three questions which desperately need answered today and are answered in this chapter regarding the church. And the first one is this. 
And we'll be dealing with these three questions and I don't know how long it will take you. It could be the last throw. How bad a mess really is the church in today? Let, let's face it now. Let's, let, let's, quest, let's ask that. Let's examine. Let's scrutinize. Let us see how bad a mess are we really in? Because many of God's people don't realize it. And I'll tell you why this generation of Christians don't think that everything's right and well. Because you've known nothing better. You've known nothing better. You think this is the norm. Well, this is not the norm. And it wasn't the norm that we and my and Pat were born into 50 years ago either. And I don't know what it'd be like going back another 50. Second thing, how did we allow ourselves to get into this state? And I'm not talking about any denomination now. I'm talking about the evangelical church. Brethren, Baptists, free peas, whatever you want to call them. There's that many that take you in our mention. How did, how did we get, allow ourselves to get into such a state? And thirdly, how are we going to get out of it? Because I'll tell you, they're trying all sorts of gimmicks to get out of it, but it's not working. <laughs> I'll not answer these all today now, but I will answer them. The first thing that we see in this chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, and it's coming fresh to you this morning, and that's why I want your Bible open. The first thing that we see in chapter 13 regarding Saul and the head of Israel was the fear that gripped the people. The fear that gripped the people. Now I'm convinced that most, the most popular weapon that the devil has to silence the church and to sicken the church is fear. fear. There's a tangible fear around these days and has been for some time. Look at verse 7 and the end of it. And all the people followed him trembling. Now cast your eyes on verse 5. Where do you see what the enemy has done in verse 5? The Philistines, who Saul was sent to destroy, by the way, that's where he was crowned king. Now watch what the devil has done in chapter 5. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude, and they came up and pitched in Michmash. Now hold on to that. Watch that verse. 30,000 chariots. Imagine 30,000 tanks, 
in a war. 6,000 officers and soldiers and men as much as the seashore, the sand of the sea would show would number. Let me tell you. The Philistines had all this because they captured them from other nations, including Israel. The Philistines who picture the devil and the powers of darkness have been rampaging through the nations and building up their arsenal, ready to wipe out Israel. And that's the same today. They're gathered around, ready to wipe them out. I can tell you that Solomon in all his glory had only 13,000 chariots. And when the Queen of Sheba saw what he had, she fainted. And I tell you, if you just saw 30, if any of you soldiers here, the soldiers served in armies and in wars here in this meeting this morning, and tell you, you would know what it would be like to see a hundred tanks, a thousand, three, thirty thousand. It's a sad day, my friend, when the covenant chosen nation of Israel, God's people, let themselves get into this state because do you know all that Saul had were 600 men? That's all he had. Look at verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that they were in the strait or they were cornered and they were beaten or whatever you want to put them, they saw that they were in the corner for the people were distressed. There you are now. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. They went back over Jordan. God helps where God wrought the great victory to bring them over to take Jericho. They're on the run. They're on the run in the caves, in the holes. They're on the run. They're going back. They're going back. And they're just alone. And you'll see in a moment where they came from the north, the south, and the east, and the west. They're surrounded. They're gone back. This was a scattering match. I tell you, we saw a scattering match from this time last year and before it with COVID. We have seen a scattering match in the church in Northern Ireland, let me tell you, through fear. And many have gone back. Many have fled. Many have hid and duped and ran and cornered. And the fight's gone and the faith's gone. And I'm calling on maybe thousands that will listen to this message. I'm calling on you Christians to stand up and fight. Fight. Despising the mighty victory, they fled to the mountains of God. A faithful few stayed, 600. And verse 8, look at verse 8. 
And he that was Saul tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. Three years before this, God told Samuel, you waited Gilgal for three for 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 you waited Gilgal for seven days. He told them that three years before. You waited Gilgal until I come. The battle will be on, and they'll be all around you. And I, I, but you wait until I come, and I will give you the word what to do. I will show you how to handle the situation. You just wait. Do what I say. Wait for seven days. Just wait until I come. Well, verse 8 says, And he tarried seven days according to the set time. You see, God has a set time. And don't you be trying to push him. God has a set time, young man. He has a time from all eternity set. And you just need patience to wait. Because you move before the time. Or don't wait on the time. You're in trouble. Stay where you are and keep your men where you are for seven days and I'll come. You see, not only did fear grip them, but faith left them. You know, nothing will demolish faith like fear. Nothing. And when we get into fear and the devil drives us into fear and he drives you mothers into fear over your health and over your family and over your marriage, when he drives you into fear, the faith is gone and you may as well stay at home from the prayer meeting. And he conquer you with fear. They were on the run. Seven days. Look at verse 8 again. And he tarried seven days according to the time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered. Now you'll read that word again, scattered. I can't emphasize that enough. They're scattered. Boys, there's been a lot of scattering done here in this assembly. I don't know what it's like in others. But let me get this point to you. And let me get this through. Samuel, God said, if you want, he'd be there within seven days to show him what to do. But Saul didn't wait the seven days. He waited into the seventh day. But he didn't wait out the seven days. Now, there's a message here for some. He didn't wait out. He didn't ride out the seventh day. A half an hour before Samuel came, F.B. Mayer said, if you'd have stood up on a rock, you'd have seen Samuel coming. But a half an hour, took a half an hour to offer these sacrifices up. A half an hour before he came. Saul wobbled. And he missed it. And he missed it big time. Because he's only two years king. 
and it's taken from him. And though he carried on, like he carried on, but he says, I'm going to give a man after God's own heart. He had David in his mind after this. Saul was finished as far as God was concerned after that. As far as Samuel was concerned, oh, he wasn't finished. Oh, he was going through the whole rigmarole. He was doing all that the king does. Like many of the pastors and the preachers in our, in our land and in our churches this morning, they're going through whole rigmaroles and ritual and they're preaching and they're having the table and they're having baptism service. They're going through the whole rigmarole. But there's no power. Power was taken from him. The Holy Ghost was taken from him. We can go on and on and on and have our churches and our wee meetings and our wee denominations. We can have all that we want to have, but we have no power. He didn't wait until the seventh day was over. Sometimes God tests us to breaking point. Sometimes he brings us down to the wire and up against it. And if you're any time in the Lord's work, especially you men out there that are in the ministry of the Lord, if you're any time in the Lord's work and the Lord's ministry, and any Christian, you'll know that he tests you to the very wire. Do you know why that is? He wants to see what you're made of. He wants to see how much you really love him. How much do you really want to keep his word? Sometimes he keeps the pressure on until it's unbearable. Do you know there's a factory in France and they make balloons out of cobwebs? <laughs> you would laugh at that, you know. They gather cobwebs and they make balloons. Well, balloons. Why? But they don't do only make balloons out of cobwebs. They make ropes towing ropes for the army out of cobwebs. Ask me how they do it. I don't know other than they have to weave it and weave it and pressurize it and pressurize it until you can tow a tank with it. Maybe you're in the furnace this morning. Maybe you're not all that long saved and We were praying with a woman yesterday. As bright a girl for the Lord, I don't think I ever knew, ever know. She's questioning why her and her daughter has cancer. Why wouldn't she not? Why would she not? But he'll not test her more than she's able to bear. And she must be worthy of it. For something big in the days ahead. So you hold on this morning. Oh, don't back off. Don't run. Don't scatter. Don't do what this man did. Just hold on. If this man's going to lead the kingdom, he has got to be tested and tried and afflicted. And he has to go into the furnace and he has to go into the fire and he has to stay in it. 
And the greatest test in this thing, my friend, is this. Listen, patience. Patience. Perseverance. Maybe some of you are thinking of going back this morning to some old thing in the past. Well, you just forget it right now. You could be just at the very, at the very door of seeing God move. I tell you, Samuel was on his way. Mother of the Lord's on his way. He's on his way. They done the same. This is the same thought whenever the scoffers rose up. Where's where's the sign of his coming? Where's where's the Lord? There's no coming. We'll go back and we'll we'll eat, drink, and be merry. And tomorrow he'll I'll tell you he'll burst the clouds someday. He'll come at the appointed time. Oh, he'll come. Hold on, mother. Hold on, father. Hold on. Whatever's in your mind now about running or scattering or abandoning, let it go. He has the pressure on. He has you hemmed in. He has doubts and fears coming into your mind. You wonder about your child. You wonder about the school. You wonder about the future. I want you to look at verse 17. And the spoilers came out of the camp. (laughs) The spoilers. You know, this was the SAS. This was was the special forces. This was the advanced forces. Uh, The the devil and the Philistine leaders sent out out these from all, north, south, and east, they sent them out from them all. Sent them out to take the booty. Go on in now and take the booty. They've already taken their chariots. And let me tell you something else. They've already taken their weapons. Look at verse 13. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon us. Where do we see where that verse? Verse 16. Now, sorry, verse 19. Look at verse 19. They've already taken the chariots, they've already taken the horses, and they've already taken the weapons. Look at verse 19. Now, there was no smith, no forges found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords and spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen. They had to go down and pay to get their spades and their, and their mattocks sharpened down, down in Philistine. God, what humiliation. That's the same humiliation that America came out of the other day. Humiliated. These boys took all, they took all, took all, uh, only, the only sword was to be found was in Saul and Jonathan. That's the only place there was a sword. They had disarmed them. They disarmed them. They humiliated them. Three trillion pounds worth of tanks and stuff they've left behind over there and one soldier running out. God, is it any wonder that you don't see America in the tribulation? You don't see American figuring in the, in the last days. They're on the run, humiliated. They can tell all the lies and make all excuses about it, but thousands of men have lost their lives. Humiliated. There's the very same thing here. They've taken the horses, they've taken the chariots, 
They've taken the, the, the weapons, they've taken the swords, they've taken the spears. They never were as low. F.B. Mayer said never in the history of Israel was she as low. And I don't believe that ever in the history of the church. She wasn't as low a state as she is this morning. There was a fear that gripped them. A faith that left them. Here's what I'm closing with this morning, but I'm taking it up next Thursday. There was the fool that led them. Saul was a fool. Well, that's what, that's what Samuel said in verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Why? I'll show you in a minute why he done foolishly. And Samuel and Saul himself at the end of the day said, and I hope, I hope that some of you Christians never say this, and I hope that you can't say this. He said at the end of his journey, at the end of the day, Saul, the anointed king once of Israel, hadn't shoulders above everybody else, chosen of God, although God didn't want a king, but he, he was chosen of God and he, he was put into place. He said at the end of the day, I have played the fool. Boy, man, is the gospel meeting I closed with that. I have played the fool. Hope you're not playing the fool. Hmm? Hope you're not playing the fool, young man. You'll go too far. You're here this morning, you're not saved. You're playing the fool. It's only a fool would go another hour without God in these days. Be an eternity before night. He says, I played the fool. Now, in closing, and we'll pick this up again. In closing, how did he play the fool? Well, first of all, he played the fool because he depended on the people. Look at verse 8. And he tarried seven days that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. The people were scattered. He had his eye on the people. Oh, we can't let these people go. We can't lose them. We have to put on a show. We have to do something here. We have to make a, make a stand here. We have to do it. The people are running. They're hiding. They're going back. We have only 600 left. They'll soon be all gone. My friend, that's the test. Let them go. Let them go. Stand on the word. Let them go. You see, the word Laodicea means the voice of the people. So all listen to the voice of the people. And I can hear some of these boys saying to him, come on, get that sacrifice over. Come on, we need God. We need to get this bullocks cut and we need the blood shed and we need the sacrifice offered and we need to do something quick, quick and get God into this very quick. You're a fool. And that's what's going on today. We need to get the numbers in. We need to get the people in. We need to get the people pleased. We need to please the children. We need to please the young people. We need to have, oh, we need to have so much for them. 
I was pleased at trying to get them people back. I, I just heard the other day about a church, an evangelical church, and they've named the denomination, and I wouldn't do it. If you're to name the denomination, scare the life of you. They're bringing in a stand-up comedian on Sunday nights to get the people in. Gimmicks. Gimmicks. Oh, get the people in. Please, the people, get them back. You'll not get them back with comedians. There's enough comedians without any more of them. And there's enough fools too. So there is. This man was a fool. He was a fool because he listened to the people. He was a bigger fool because he touched and tinkered with the offerings and sacrifice that only the priest could do. He was a king and the king's job was to reign politically. Samuel was a priest and his job was to reign spiritually. And every Israelite knew the commandments of God and the ways of God and on the peril of their life, on the peril of their life, only a priest could offer sacrifices unto God. Now there's much I could say about that but I am not going to. Only the ordained priesthood had a right to tinker or touch the holy sacrifices of God, the altar of God. And I tell you, God taught them that lesson very severely many a day. He taught, them, he taught them that with Eli's two sons. He wiped them out. He taught it with Two sons of Aaron in the priesthood, Adab and Abihu, went in and offered strange fire. He just wiped them out like that. Aye. It says that Aaron held his peace. He could do nothing else. He done it with King Uzziah, that king who thought he would reign and rule and do what he liked. Instead of keeping his mind and his nose in his own business, he went into the sanctuary and he started to offer up sacrifices and God came and struck him with leprosy. See, God guards, he guards the cross. The blood. The atonement. Redemption. The burnt sacrifice. The sufferings of Christ and all that the burnt sacrifice speaks about. And what's happening today, and I'm closing now, but I have so much in my heart this morning. What's happening now, they've tinkered with the cross. They've taken the blood out and they've taken redemption out and they've twisted it up into versions of Scripture that you could neither make head nor tail of and there's no power in it, no saving virtue in them. And God help us. And there's fools out there today, and let me tell you, that's what the Word of God calls it. Fools out there today. And you know what Paul said? And he said it weeping. And I'm back to where I started this morning, because I have a heavy burden. Paul says, they're enemies. I tell you weeping. I tell you weeping that they're enemies of the cross work of Christ. God said, Saul, 
you're a fool and I'm taking the kingdom from you. You're finished. As far as I'm concerned, you're finished. All these boys are finished. No life, there's no power in them. Finished. You're done. You wrote off. And he got full of hatred and all the rest for David after that. I tell you, Paul says, I tell you weeping, writing to the Philippian church, I tell you weeping, weeping, that these people, they're enemies of the cross work of Christ. My friend, it's not so much only that they deny the blood and they deny the virgin birth and they deny the things of God that we love and we stand for. It's not only that, but if they don't preach it, they're fools. They'll preach it some need at, at some times at weddings and funerals. You go to hear them and there's no gospel in it. You hear them some other times and there's a wee bit in it. I tell you, they're enemies of the cross work of Christ. They're denying the whole realm of Christ and the whole uh, gospel power and the blood and the sacrifice and the death and the risen Christ where we preach here and will continue to preach and if we're going to have revival and we're going to have blessing I tell you if we're going to get back we'll have to get back to the cross back to the cross back to the cross back to the cross you as an individual this morning needs to get back to the cross and then Nicholson words again he says I was so low I had to look up to see the bottom but only he could say something like that you have to get low you have to get down you have to get the pride and the haughtiness and the jealousies and the envies and all away you have to get back to the old rugged cross to the old rugged cross where he died for you and me. May God help us to start on the road back to blessing. To blessing. If you're not saved this morning or backslidden this morning, I'm going out here now when we sing this hymn. Just go round the side and come in. Don't go on any longer running, fighting, remonstrating. Fooling. You say, Lord, I've played the fool. Help me. And he will.